Welcome to the Alive and Kicking podcast. I'm your host, Kay Eck, and this is where we talk to ordinary people about their extraordinary lives. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. This is actually take two of my interview with Lisa Stokey. Yesterday, we tried to connect and we had all kinds of problems, including technology and injuries and weird telephone line juju. I don't even know what all was going on, but I'm so happy to be here with you today and welcome. Thank you, Kay. I'm really happy to be here. I've been looking forward to this. Awesome. So um, one of the things that also before I get started, I just want to give a shout out to all the Alive and Kicking listeners and and watchers. I really appreciate so much your your dedication uh, to personal growth and to learning through the stories of others. And hopefully I'll get to share your story one day. So Lisa, um, one of the things that you and I have in common, and we've known each other for a number of years now, uh, one of the things that we have in common is that we both have four children, four grown children, also three boys and a girl. But I think your order is a little bit different from mine. But um, so one of the things that I really want to talk about today, amongst other things, is the parenting of grown children which um, is really interesting and definitely not what I expected it would be. And um, that, I mean, even just saying those words like parenting grown children, it's a little bit odd, you know? So I do want to get into that and I hope that our conversation leads us there. So I thought that we would start with, um, could you possibly tell us a little bit about your relationship with your parents when you were a child and then later on and how you kind of learned from that and grew from that. Wow. (laughs) Just jump right in the deep end there. (laughs) Wow. Okay. (laughs) Um, I guess that's why you don't give questions up front. (laughs) I'd be like, no. Um, No, it's okay. Um, But it's interesting. I'll just be totally candid when you said that about um, my parents and my childhood. And I immediately felt like these tears welling up right here. Mm. And I've been, I hope I don't cry, but I've been in, I, I think it's just because I have been in that process over the last, I don't know, 48 hours actually, or even since we've tried to connect, like you said, we've had the energetically it's been um really bumpy you know which isn't totally uncommon for me i have those you know roller coasters with um energy i guess you know how i process things in my life and experience them and release them and you know ride higher but um i had you know i had i told you earlier i had an injury yesterday which was such a freak accident i just i fell into the countertop And, um, if I hadn't repaired it, you would see probably a bruise right here. Um, but what it did as I was kind of alluding to earlier is that it really helped to, to ground and center me. And that's what, you know, I've learned has happened to us when we do have, 
you know, trauma or even elation or like our birth of our children or whatever. It's those things that really bring you into center and in your present moment. And I think offer the opportunity to connect you to your spirit. And so that's what I've been experiencing. And the interesting thing is that as I've had that experience, I've just had all kinds of tears, you know, flowing, you know, I don't even, I, it's not mental at all. I don't even know what it's really about, but um, it offered me that opportunity, you know, as um, kind of painful and traumatic as that was, that's what the opportunity was for me was to bring me into present moment and to release. So um, with that uh, background, um, my childhood, um, I think that that my childhood taught me that, if you will, was how to um, be strong <laughs> um, because I didn't I, I didn't experience a lot of uh, support for um, who I was as a child, um, which I think is really common. I don't think I'm unique in that way. But I remember as a child being really aware of that. Um, my veils were pretty thin when I incarnated. Um, I remember, for example, the experience of my grandfather who had died two years before I was born. And the adults around me were always telling me that I didn't know him and he died. And I, I had to really work hard to process that and believe that it didn't make any sense to me. And then as I got much older, I, and I learned more about incarnation and how this reality works and the infinite nature of our beings. Um, then I began, it gave me more context for understanding my experiences as a child. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was born, you know, um, logistically, I guess I was born into a family in the Midwest, in North Iowa, um, where I raised my four kids until I was 45, until 2014, when I moved here to Boulder, Colorado. And, um, you know, that was, and my parents were very religious, you know, Christian. And used, I used to have to go to church three times a week. And, you know, I think I incarnated into um, an existence that kept me safe, you know, and, and sheltered in a sense, but it was also very controlling. Um, so, yeah, I think that there's obviously a lot of opportunities and that that I have um, taken from it, right? As far as like finding, really finding who you are. You know, it's like my son, when he has driven through snowstorms with me when he was first learning to drive, he would, he was a very, you know, wise young man, Sam, who's 20 now, he would say, you know, you don't become a good sailor in, um, you know, peaceful seas. <laughs> oh my God. Um, so would you say that kind of sums up your childhood yeah I I do yeah I do um so it just I I feel like when you're in that kind of environment it really forces you to either choose to conform to what doesn't feel uh good good I guess for lack of a better word good to you or right or in alignment with who you truly are or it kind of forces you to really own that and develop those characteristics and uh, those skills and capacity to, to develop that and express that. Yeah. I feel like I'm still doing it, but. Right. Right. Of course. So what, how do you describe this, the, um, 
the statement that you made about the veils being very thin for you when you were young. What does, that, I, mean? What does that mean? Um, it means that I was very aware that there was always something, you know, greater than me, something well beyond the experience that I was having. And um, I had the capacity to um, leave this experience when I was young, leave my identity as Lisa. And like I said, I, I didn't understand that when I was young, these were just experiences I was having. So I was sensitive to, um, you know, beings and I guess other dimensional realities. And um, when I lost my grandmother, when I was very young, I literally just found out um, maybe a month ago that I was five when she died. And I, I never knew what age I was actually. And my son shared that with me, what year she died just the other day when he was back home at my parents. And so she was as much as my parents, you know, loved me and did a really good job, you know, keeping me safe and caring for me. Um, I think they kind of struggled to express that unconditional love. And my grandmother, um, my paternal grandmother, she did that for me. She was my source as a child of unconditional love. Like I just, I always felt accepted and loved by her. <clears throat> and so she, so her dying when I was five was like losing a mother mm -hmm. for me. My, that was my mothering experience. Mm -hmm. And so um, I ultimately just found a way to connect with her or maybe her with me or both. And so when I was young, um, I was meditating is what I realized when I began to do meditation more in my thirties, I was like, Oh, I know this. I know this experience. And it's always been very easy for me, you know, to meditate, meaning, you know, connect with my, my purest self, my higher self or whatever, you know, we call it my spirit. Um, and so I would do that. I would just, um, go, when I would be going to sleep, I could feel when it was happening and I would, I would just literally leave my body and it was very comforting. Mm -hmm. I was able to be there with her. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that just kind of trained me for, you know, all the things that I would go on to do with healing work and of, of individuals and the planet and humanity and so forth. Yeah. So I, I'm getting, is this correct if I'm saying it this way, that your experience of spirituality was much different than your parents? And was it their view that whatever you were experiencing was in direct conflict with what their understanding of spirituality was? Yeah, I'd, I'd say that's the first statement. <laughs> <laughs> and that must have been hard for them. Um, yeah, I think it was, I don't, I don't think, you know, I don't, I still don't think they know how to necessarily experience it. You know, my, my mother, um, I know she felt like she was doing for my benefit. So I'm not bashing her when I say that yeah, I would have books on like Buddhism or, you know, different alternative, um, uh, you know, biographies or whatever on the life of Jesus or 
um, Native American, you know, tarot cards or whatever, she would just toss that stuff in the trash, you know, when I was a kid or, you know, when I was a teenager, I guess. Um, so yeah, I think that, that was, a, that was a struggle for me for a long time. Cause I really wanted them to know who I was and accept me, I guess yeah. for a long time. And, you know, now I guess, I guess I came around to accepting them is really what happened in our relationship. Mm-hmm. And I'd say they accept me if they, even if they don't know a lot about my life, Yeah. but it's kind of that experience that we have. I would say that's more on that higher self level, that heart level where we connect because lots of times words and ideas and conversation can really get in the way. Right. And so we kind of don't have that. And maybe that's something that we could probably use a little bit more of a little more conversation. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not hard to understand how this sort of dynamic gets established because they've been told that they're responsible for your relationship with God And that if they don't train you to accept, you know, whatever Jesus or God in a certain way that you're going to be in serious trouble. So it's, you know, it comes from a place of love, but unfortunately the, 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 the parameters of how that, how the relationship with God or spirit um, takes place can be vast. And sometimes we're taught that that's, you know, gotta be this way or the highway or or the hallway, you know? Yeah. 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 My father genuinely believes I'm going to hell. Yeah. And um, for me, I hate that for him. For him. And, interesting. Right. Yeah. It's a suffering, right? Like he's carrying such a heavy burden that, yeah. 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 And, and in that way, or um, I don't know, for lack of a better word, organized religion or a very dogmatic way of approaching Christianity. I've, I've gone through my stages with that of being really angry and upset with the way that, you know, we've been introduced to that through fear and not through, um, you know, what, what I believe that, you know, Christ or Jesus's experience was here, you know, was to really more open up the world to us, more open up what this reality is more open up to our, our truest selves. Yeah. And I, I don't believe that his experience was here to introduce us to be fearful. I feel like it was really the opposite. And so in my twenties, I, I went through a lot of anger, you know, at religion and really rejected it um, in a big way because I began to see how it, it, people, it impacted people, you know, introduced more fear into their lives, you yeah. know, rather than, you know, opening them up. And I mean, I know, you know, all of this, but, um, and I've experienced that as well in your own way. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I hate that for, for my father, because it is a burden for him. Yeah. But Lisa, can you, can you see ways in which I feel like this is such a common experience, um, to motherhood. Can mm-hmm. you see ways in which you feel responsible for the, um, the way your children live their lives? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a kind of a loaded question <laughs> you already know the answer <laughs> yes 
I'll be honest and candid. Yeah, definitely. And that's been, that's been a path for, for me, for sure. And I, I'm, I'm really deep in it right now um, with one of my children, because my, in particular, um, I have it with all my kids, but one in particular of, you know, letting go. And as you've often very wisely reminded me, you know, that the same spirit, the same energy, God, whatever it is that cares for me is the same, you know, that holds all of my children. And so I continue to lean into that. And that even though um, my children don't always uh, make the choices that I think, I think is for their good. um, I just have to keep leaning into that trust. And I, when I communicate now, I communicate with their highest self mm. is what I, is what I do. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a I, <laughs> yes, it's, yes. I just, I was just going to say that this um, like motherhood mm-hmm. at a certain point, you know, like when the children are small, you are responsible for them in all these different ways. And then at some point, which isn't always clear, it switches over where they're responsible for themselves. But, yeah. the, but the process of extricating yourself from that growth path that they're on is so incredibly tricky. And mm-hmm. there's so much in it for us. Yeah. I, I don't know how I would have gotten through, or I'm not through it but yet because I'm still alive and I still have children, but I don't know how I would gotten, have gotten through that process without really believing that they chose their soul on a soul level. They chose everything about their life, their life experience. I don't know how I would have ever. Yeah. It, it, that could have, that could just be an illusion and, and I would be so happy for it because <laughs> I don't know how, how I would get through otherwise when you care so much about somebody mm-hmm. to, to be able to detach from what they're going through. It is a really difficult journey. Yeah, it is. Do you recall like for your various, um, and it happens at different stages for different children. Like I can remember at when when my kids were 18 or maybe a little bit older, I I took some keys and I said, I'm handing your life over to you. You are now making your own decisions. But I mean, it didn't happen, you know, like that. Obviously, there was lots yeah. of messiness. But mm-hmm. at a certain point, I wanted to make clear to them that they were now, you know, responsible for their lives. But so can you talk a little bit about the <laughs> how that, you know, has occurred for you with your kids? Mm. Well, I'll try. I don't think we have enough time. I four. <laughs> um I'll try to sum it up. Um, it's because it is different for, as you know, when you have four, I, I learned a long time ago that each of my kids get a different mother, you know, because, because of who they are. And um, I have a, I have a really good friend who um, his name is Andy and he runs a national organization in the field that I work in um, with food and agriculture, but he's also a Jungian um, therapist. And he has enlightened me to a lot of these things when I have discussed um, things with him over the years um, and some of the challenges that I've gone through. And 
one of the things that always stuck with me is that kind of our job, our responsibility with our children is to reflect them back to themselves, you know, which is that I see you and you matter and, and shine their light back. And so for each of my children, it's, it's really different, you know, how they express themselves and how they incarnate and what their, what their light is. Um, and I think, I think partially it, or if, yeah, at least partially when my kids were young, um, this seems important to kind of add in is that I realized that they were not mine and I was, I was a mom when I was 22. So I was pretty young and I was not in any way fully grown myself. And so I experienced that at that time, like, oh gosh, am I not bonding with my child? You know, I, I thought there was something wrong with me, but over time I came to realize that I was just tapping into the unique uniqueness of their experience. And as like Khalil Gibran says in the prophet, you know, your children, you know, the parent is the bow and the child is the arrow Mm. and we cast them forth and life doesn't go backwards. It goes forwards. Mm. And so for me, I've really tried as I've gone along in parenthood to try and take my cues from my children and reflect back to them what it is they needing, they're needing for the time that they're incarnated because it was very different when I was a child, right. And when I was a teenager and when I was a young adult and what I needed in those times and what they are experiencing and what they need now. And so, um, I, that's, I think that's basically how I tune into it. I feel like the more, the more present I am, the more my spirit can come through and have that alignment and that centeredness. And I'm able to respond to them and be present in that moment because all of the, all of the information, all of the wisdom, all of what we need to know that can come through our divine being is there. It's always right there. It's not in the past. It's not in the future. It's always right now. And so in trying to be a better parent all the time to my children, that's, that's my practice is just, is really being present. Mm. Wow. That is, yeah, so much. And I, I find too, that, um, my, you know, so-called parenting is becoming a lot more silent and without words and just being there for them in, in a quiet way with very little advice unless something really specific is asked for. And a lot of times I feel like even when it is asked for, they already have so much more wisdom than I did at that age. So I can't even really relate to necessarily where they are with a particular issue that they might be dealing with because there's so much further along the path than I was. I don't have the experience that, that, that would be beneficial to them. But I feel like just being that open receptacle for their story, just like I try to do with this podcast, is is like really the powerful thing that they always have a safe place to express themselves. That I fail at that all the time because I'll, you know, like 
I'll throw some kind of judgment out or I'll get in my own story and, and I'm not able to, to do that, but that's what I, that's what I strive for. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, and, but, and also like your kids can demand more from you. Like they want you to take responsibility for certain aspects of their life. And, mm-hmm. and as a mom, you know, your tendency is to kind of like scoop up and get the job done, you know? but that's yes. not necessarily um, what benefits them. Right. I wanna ask you um, about this relationship with grown children. Um, how has that shifted for you? Like what is your, what do, what do you see is your role and how has that changed? Hmm. Yeah, I, that's a really good question. How has it changed? I would say I would, I would echo a lot of what you said. Um, it does become more of that process of being more neutral and allowing them to have their experiences. For the most part, there are some times where I do feel like, um, oh, this, this would be really bad, you know. <laughs> so maybe like you might want to reconsider whatever it is. Um, but I would say for the most part, my, at least I have three kids who, um, have really leaned in to taking responsibility for their own lives. Um, my, yeah, I don't, I don't think we even go into my other child, but, (laughs) um, none of my kids live with me currently, but, um, um, I think that, I think that for them, just knowing that I'm there, like you said, I think is, is really good for them. I have a practice of having my kids over every Sunday night, which is something that I learned from a friend of mine back in Iowa many years ago that she did with her adult kids. And so it's like, you know, we're always going to have that meal on Sunday. And I think, um, it's just a really wonderful grounding for them because when my kids were young, the practice that I came in, that I tried to, that I initiated, I should say, when they were young, was that I'm not raising kids, I'm raising adults. And I'm not trying to say I did that perfectly, but that was my, that was my intention Mm -hmm. that I, when I had the opportunities to give them um, responsibility, but responsibility as a way to trust themselves, Mm -hmm. as a way to know that they, they had the capacity to, to navigate in this world and to, um, help, uh, foster the skills of them trusting their own knowing their own bearing being their own spirit. And, um, cause I always just felt like, um, if I wasn't here, um, I would want to know that they, that they would be okay and that they knew how to thrive. Mm-hmm. And so I would say that's, that's kind of, um, my parenting is when I can give them those nuggets of like, you know, sometimes I just need to hear it's okay. You got this. It's going to be fine. I know that you're trying to figure out how to make money to pay your rent. You got it. It's okay. You're, you're always going to be provided for. You will always be provided for in some way. Your spirit's always going to come through for you. And cause that was the thing that made the difference for me mm-hmm. as I became an adult because I, I didn't have that. My parents 
um, I would say in their parenting of me, as I got older, they um, did things to, cre- uh, to create more reliance upon them. Mm-hmm. And I remember telling my parents when I was in my mid twenties, I remember sitting across from them saying, have you heard the phrase, if you teach a person to fish, they'll know how to feed themselves <laughs> instead of giving them a fish, then they don't. And my parents lots of times reflected the latter. And again, I think it was just kind of what they knew to that's how they expressed their love. So I'm not trying to bash them, but the benefit for me is that I, is that I learned from that. I could see what I was kind of lacking and what I had to give myself and how I had to parent myself as I got older and the skills and the people that I saw around me, people like yourself, right. Who, um, you know, had experience and wisdom ahead of me and um, to lean into that and adopt that and then pass that on to my children. Yeah. And now I, now I have a grandchild on the way. So <laughs> that adds a whole new dimension, you know, yeah, that's going to be like phase three. Well, you'll, you know, like, Oh my gosh, I have so many questions, but let, let me just try to focus on that. Um, that you're giving me like a whole new way of thinking about my own parents, because I, you know, they, they, my childhood felt very much like I didn't have parents. And so I was forced into a very independent nature. And, uh, you know, you can definitely take that too far. You know, you can become an island with that type of, um, that type of mentality, but it did really serve me well. Like I never had a doubt that I could take care of myself because I've been taking care of myself since I was five years old. So, um, that, yeah, but, and so like, thank you. Like it, I was, I had been holding, you know, perhaps a little bit of um, animosity toward my parents for that kind of upbringing, but it really was an invisible gift, you know, the gift inside the, the struggle. Right. Um, yeah. One of the things that I really want to talk to you about, because this was just uh, popping up on Facebook this morning, one of my friends had posted something about motherhood mm-hmm. and um I wanted to ask you, because you have had throughout this whole child rearing um, era, Mm -hmm. you have had a very high profile demanding career. Mm -hmm. And I want to hear a little bit about how you have been able to balance being fully present for your kids while also having this demanding career. And I also want to hear about the times that you feel like you failed at that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I'll start with the failure. <laughs> um, and that took some time for me to, um, I guess, forgive myself in a sense, mm-hmm. um, because I would say, like I said, I started having kids when I was 22. And so from, I would say from the time I was 22 until I was about 40. So for about the span of 18 years, I was uh, mostly at home and I, I reorganized my entire life around um, keeping my kids out of daycare as much as possible and um, being able to source, you know, clean organic food for them, which was when I was in Iowa, that was a two hour one way drive for me, you know, up to Minneapolis. So those were my two things was, you know, giving them as much of a, a home at home environment experience with me, especially in those developmental years, 
and then putting, you know, good food into their bodies. And, and so, but then when they, when I was 40, um, and my son, my youngest son was probably around, I don't know, I guess he'd be around like eight. Um, so in school, I began to uh, lean more into that, I guess what you're calling that whole high profile work. And then I began to travel, excuse me, quite a bit um, um, for my work. And um, without going into that specifically and focusing more on my experience with my kids, I um, I can acknowledge that it was, I was a single mom for a really long time. So, and my parents lived in the same town that I did. And I was fortunate to have people around me who could, you know, who loved and cared for my kids. Um, but it offered me an opportunity to spread my wings that, and, and have my voice. Um, and, um, I think do what a lot of us are kind of supposed to be doing in our twenties and mine was kind of cut short in a sense. And so when I was 40, I picked that up, I guess. And I just really launched full on into my career. And, um, then there was a time when I was probably around 50 and 52 now when I just, I really had, um, a deep sadness around that. Cause I felt like I missed a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do feel that um, it was, it was both. I was able to be home. I didn't work away from the home. I worked at home, worked from home, but then I also traveled quite a bit, which I think just made me less present more than anything. I was physically there a lot, but I was less present because I was really focused on my work. Um, I used to be happy if I got one day off a year for a few years. And that was, that's not an exaggeration. New year's day is the day I reserve for myself. um we we worked at least a little bit if not a lot every single day of the year and we I had a lot of success in the work that we did you know um with my co-founder back then and you know we had an advocacy organization and we um just together just the two of us built a list of a million people and I feel like we really made a huge difference in awareness and, um, you know, shifting some regulations and and policies and things like that and having people really aware of like what was going on with their food system and, you know, corporate collusion and things like that. So I'm proud of it. And my motivation was to create a better future for my children and my grandchildren. And it still is, but now I seek more balance, you know, with that. Mm. Um, it seems like there was a second part to that question. Yeah. What were the, how, how do you balance it? Now your kids are a little bit older, Mm -hmm. but there's still, um, you know, some balancing that needs to occur. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it really is in that presence. Mm -hmm. Like when you're, when you're with them, I mean, it's always that thing of like, you say, it's not about the quantity, it's the quality of time. And that quality of time comes in when I feel we're fully uh, as much as we can be aligned in our true nature. Yeah. And that when we show up in that way, in that, you know, higher frequency way for our kids, it offers them that opportunity to also do that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's probably the most valuable thing, honestly, that I can offer them because as they are more aligned with their purest and truest selves, 
they'll, they will always be in abundance in all ways, not just financially, but in good relationships and, you know, nourishing environments and, you know, just being fed, right. And having that internal guidance. So I think that's probably the biggest shift for me is that, and that's my daily practice, no matter what it is I'm doing with my work. But um, I guess I will add to that. And my son said this to me, actually, my, uh, my middle son, Gabriel, many years ago, when we still lived in Iowa, um, he was probably 12 years old at the time, I'm going to guess 13. And he said, you raised really independent kids, mom. And I think he was having that struggle of like, I want my mom, you know, because he was coming into that adolescence. And I know he wanted my presence. And I do feel like there was a failure there for me to be present for him because of what was happening in my life. Um, But he, even at that time, was able to kind of lean into like, here's what I'm gaining. I'm learning to develop my own inner, my inner strength. And knowing that even when I feel like I really need my mom, um, I have me and myself and my spirit and my own strength. Mm. And I think he would still say that today. He's 22 now. Yeah. And um, my kids are, are really quite independent in that way. Yeah. You know, they find their own support networks and kind of, they don't, they don't call on me for a lot of um, material things or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I guess that was the benefit in it. Yeah, that's so hard as a mom to hear that, you know, like your absence made me stronger. Yeah. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. I really struggled with that for a couple yeah. of years at least. Yeah. yeah. Um, this, I, it relates to a comment that I was seeing a, a young woman express. Uh, she has a young, young child, her first child, and she's working in a job that she doesn't really feel aligned to, and she's feeling very taxed and overwhelmed. And um, you as a single parent, I'm sure had to do some work to support your children that maybe wasn't fully aligned with who you knew yourself to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't want to assume that that's true. Maybe, maybe it's not true, but have you had that experience? And if so, how did you come to terms with that? Um, could you repeat that? How did I come to terms with what exactly? If, if, if you had to, um, do work to support your family that wasn't maybe fully around or aligned with your true self or your true interests, um, how did you get through that? (sighs) Lots of times it was fake it to make it. I'll be honest. Um, I went to school for psychology and social work and that's what I majored in. And I started out in that in my early twenties and it was fulfilling work, but I literally made like six fifty an hour. And then I paid two to $3 in daycare an hour. And so when I graduated, I saw there was a job um, that I was qualified for in, you know, the world of social work, but it paid 18 grand a year. And I just very quickly did the math of, um, well, I could wait tables full time and a babysitter could come to my house in the evening and I could have be with my kids all day. And, um, 
you know, I could work less hours and I can make the same or more. And so I ended up waiting tables until my daughter went to kindergarten. And then the week she went to kindergarten, I, you know, went and I actually got trained to do massage therapy and that was more aligned. I knew I wouldn't do that forever. I don't do that now. I probably haven't done that for eight or 10 years, but um, it was a really good leap for me, you know, but yeah, my focus was at that time, it was money. It was finances. And lots of times I had to be, you know, creative about that mm-hmm. um, because of my, because my goals with the, again, being home when they, in those developmental years and food. <laughs> and, and so those are my two highest goals. Mm-hmm. And so I guess that's, and, and doing, and waiting tables at night and making decent money, um, comp- you know, hourly, I guess, um, allowed me to achieve those two goals. And I guess I was fortunate that the place that I worked, um, there were some skills that I gained, you know, by the owners and um, observing their success patterns, right? And um, I don't know, I'm one, of, I'm one of those people, I think it's when you do, ra- you're, you're raised in an environment where you're not fully validated that you can find the silver linings. It's like my, my friend said to me, cause she kind of got stuck in Iowa for a little while with kids as well. Um, not that I was a bad place. I shouldn't say stuck, but <laughs> you're from the Midwest. You understand <laughs> it, it. Midwest doesn't certain lots of places don't fully reflect back, you know, your, uh, you know, what feeds you, I guess. So, um, she was like, I guess when you're in jail, you know, it's good to at least educate yourself and read, read a book, you know, that's how she compared it, you know? (laughs) So, um, I think that's what I've just always done. I've always been somebody who very naturally just looks for what is there for me. Like if I feel like I'm quote suffering or like, as you're saying, not in alignment, which if you're not in alignment, that is suffering. Right. Yeah. And, and um, whether it's in your relationships or where you live or where you work or whatever, being out of alignment is for, I think the definition of suffering. And so I would just look for what it was that I was there to gain Mm -hmm. in that moment, knowing that it was temporary and also my choice. I also came to realize that anything I was experiencing was reflecting back to me what um, patterns and frequencies I was running, which is probably another story. And it was always my choice. And when I came to kind of realize that, that I had a lot more control in my life, um, that was the uh, point of empowerment for me. Yeah. Right. And sometimes it was a hard pill to swallow, but it was like, no, there's no exceptions to this. There's just no exceptions. I'm, I, this is my choice of what, what, I, what's exper- what I'm experiencing. Yeah. I think it's like the the combination of taking responsibility for what is occurring in your life and then also the trust, let go Mm -hmm. of the known and open up to the possibility that when you're, when you bring yourself into alignment, you are provided for in, in un- unexpected ways. It could just be energy. You just have, you suddenly have more energy and you can get, you know, more stuff done in a day, or you're able to find yeah. more time to, to devote to whatever your personal practices might be that you're longing yeah. to explore, or, you know, you, you meet people who are 
willing to assist you in certain ways. And it's not always clear when you're in the letting go process. So it's like both. It's like letting go and taking more responsibility. It doesn't sound like they would go together, but they, but they do. Yes. Yeah. No, I totally, I totally agree with that. Um, that's when I've taken my biggest leaps actually is when I've let go if things around me are just kind of getting really complex and then like messy and confusing and like, okay, this is my human nature, if you will, that is kind of trying to control things and figure things out, you know, with my head and not operating more from, um, this, this area, actually women, we have four brains, they say where we have those neural networks that are tuning into the field of information. You know, we are, we're always in this quantum field where all of the information is stored of what it is, the guidance that we need, the wisdom that we need, the experience of not just us, but of all that's around us. And we can choose to tap in to whatever aspect of that. And we have, you know, neural networks, those neural receptors, those things that are reaching out into the field in our brain, our heart, our gut. And for women, we also have our womb, our uterus. So those are our four actually areas of guidance. And we can literally put our attention on those areas um, for guidance and information. And oftentimes when I use my my brain, sometimes I, I need to do that, right? If I need to figure out things that are more complex or what you might say is more, um, you know, left, left brained. Um, there's, it's, it's a process of discernment, I think, of, of where to tune into for certain um, ways of accessing information out there. And I mean, I know that's a little, like probably a little bit of a rabbit hole, but <laughs> that's, that's a lot of, um, that's kind of what I've, what I've learned is how um, I think that humanity right now is learning what and who we are. It's this process of remembering, it's this process of relearning, of reimagining. Um, that's why with my organization, I have a program called Future and Humanity because I think that as we are moving into the future, a lot of people are focusing on the planet and quote, saving the planet um, and of course we need to be in, you know, concert and harmony, you know, with life around us and nature, but nature and earth, mother earth, the organism of earth has already has its success mechanisms. It, it, it does not need us to do anything, right. It will has these cycles where it will go into an ice age, right. Or it will warm or it will do floods or volcanoes or whatever as that process of whatever it needs. If it needs a different temperature, if it needs more rain, if it needs less rain, if it needs minerals, whatever to rebalance. And so I think the opportunity now is as we learn to live in harmony with nature, we are really learning to live more in harmony with who and what we are. And we discover this organism of humanity you know, of understanding that we are, that we're not separated truly. And we hear this a lot, but of course, at this time of recording, which is October of 2021, we're experiencing division and polarization. Like, I don't think any of us have ever seen in our lifetimes. Mm -hmm. 
And that's another story because I feel like that's rather intentional. Um, but the reality is, is that we're not right. We're connected. We're, con- we're connected. Like even our DNA, if you take, if you remove your DNA and you put it in another room, like DNA that belongs to you, like from your saliva or whatever. Um, and I work with some scientists who have done this and you can, you can shift something in your field. Like they might do something that gives you an experience and they observe that DNA, that DNA is responding in the same way as the DNA in this location. And so we are communicating through our DNA. And as we're talking about children, as I began my path of my own grounding and healing and recentering and alignment and learning about who I was and accepting who I was and all, all of that, I knew that I was contributing to that also with my children and my grandchildren and my lineage and my ancestors, because we are, we're truly all connected and science is now showing us that saying, yes, what you've always felt to be true um, is true. We are all connected. Mm. That's beautiful. So what kind of advice would you give young mothers struggling with becoming aligned to who they truly are in the process of raising young children? I would say the first thing that comes to my mind is to trust yourself. Um, I'm having this experience right now because my daughter is like just entering her second trimester and she's expecting her baby in April of next year. And, and I just told her the other day, I said a lot of things are something that a lot of women have known. I said generations before you, countless mothers, one thing that we are now all coming around to learning, I think in this modern era is of not giving up ourselves that we, that we, that we sacrifice. And I, I recognize sacrifice as something of being an old, an old paradigm along with fear and control. Mm -hmm. And you're not here to sacrifice yourself. You are here to flourish your child will flourish when you flourish, when you align and fully express yourself and um, celebrate yourself. Your, your children will mirror you, right? So if you are loving your being, your human, your experience, when you are um, leaning into all of your wounds, and your fears and your failures and accepting yourself despite that. When you're when you're flourishing, when you're expressing your skills and your talents and learning and engaging with the world, your children will do that too. And I think as moms, we would all say that we want that for our kids, but I think we are coming through a period where we learn to sacrifice ourselves for that. And I think the more that we embody it, then they will embody that too. That's really incredibly beautiful. I love that. I second everything that you said. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, wow. This has been an amazing conversation. I, uh, I'm so grateful for it because it feels so incredibly timely since I was looking at all the motherhood stuff um, mm-hmm. on, on Facebook. So I was wondering if you would like to um, take a ride on the lightning round train. With <laughs> oh, boy. I didn't know about the lightning round. Uh, do I get a prize? No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> Yes, you do. It is the joy of self-expression. Okay. Number one, what is your greatest fear? Mm. Um, My greatest fear probably is around my children is around them. Not of me, of me leaving this earth and them not um, having that opportunity to have leaned into their own knowing. And that's always been my biggest fear. Mm. And I would say it's less of a fear now because my children are now between the ages of 20 to 30. And mm-hmm. I feel like um, they're, they're well on their way. I'm, I'm certainly not ready to leave them. But the other thing that I offered to them too when they were young was um, understanding how important each of them was to each other you know, that they were the family unit and they, um, they're, they are close. And so, so that's, that's really good. Um, I have, I have less fear these days, I guess. Yeah. I I think about all of the fear I, I parented from fear, you know, forever. And there was, I like fear was ever present for me in my motherhood years. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, like, I just think about how things could have been different if that hadn't been um, the case, if I had trusted more, Mm -hmm. uh, had known myself more, you know, it it, it all went along with the fact that I didn't know who I was. So I was like, so fearful that I was making mistakes. And, and there was must have been something in me that knew that I wasn't aligned. And so I couldn't be be parenting from that place. I don't know. But and then as they got older, I don't fear so much for what's going to happen to them. I know they're going to be fine. I worry nice. more about what would happen to me if I didn't have them. Um, yeah, still, I still worry about that. Not, not so much, but yeah. <clears throat> okay. Number two, have you considered living off the grid? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I definitely have. Um, you know, doing, doing a lot of the work that I have in, um, you know, raising awareness, like I said, around corporate collusion and food and agriculture specifically, um, it's really given me um, an inside look over the years at how the system operates. And my, my biggest leaning, I guess, throughout my life into my childhood and up to now is for freedom. And so I'm always leaning into what is freedom? What truly is freedom? I'm, and it changes as I, as I learn more and I become more in alignment. Um, I was at a conference last week in San Francisco and there was a man that I was talking with and we were talking about some of the things that were, you know, kind of going on in society. And this might sound like really cynical, but there's, you know, some, you know, something interesting in there to lean into. And he said, people don't want freedom. They want free stuff. And like I said, that might sound really cynical, but I was like, that's true for a lot of people. You know, what do we think freedom is? We think freedom is 
you know, having the ability to buy and get and go where we want, right? That's what we think freedom is. And the reality is, is I think, no, the reality for me and what I think it is for humanity is, you know, freedom is again, back to that alignment, you know, and having the ability to align with our truest nature, our purest self, um, that is, you know, creating us here in this experience. And when we're in alignment with that, for me, that's true freedom. And so living off grid, I just think that's, um, that's a way to, it, it, it may sound like a leap, but I was just leaning in the other day to, I'm like, oh my gosh, so much of my experience is managing the system, right? That's based on this fiat capitalism, right? That's obviously based upon fear and control. And so it's like, how much of my time do I spend, you know, I don't know, paying bills or looking at my accounts or remembering my passwords or, you know, making sure I have this registration or I fill out that form or, you know, whatever. I'm like, I would probably be so depressed if I realized how much of my time and energy I actually spend doing that and not spent like, you know, just um, expressing and offering and creating, right? That's kind of, that's been, that's been your thing that you've really offered is like, create, just create, create, create. Right. And I think that is where we find, we find our freedom. So in living off grid, I had this experience a couple of months ago, I went up to Massachusetts and I went to a place called Earthlands farm and we stayed for a few days and it's off grid. If you wanted to grind your coffee in the morning, you had to go out back and start the generator. Right. And you had to, you know, kind of use your, your, I mean, granted I had the opportunity for my phone, but I had to use my phone at night to get around, you know, to brush my teeth, you know, for, for a light. And at first it was a little jarring, but then it was like, you could just feel you can be much more in tune with nature, right. Which is really what nourishes us and what brings us into our present. So I think that that's what that whole off-grid li living truly offers us. And I'm not anti-technology, but I'm just more about technology that benefits humanity and doesn't control. Mm. Beautiful. <clears throat> Number three, when did you first realize that you liked yourself? It, it really wasn't that long ago, actually. Um, and I still feel like there's, there's pieces of me that I'm claiming. And I know this because I just, I just had this experience um, yesterday and this morning after I had that accident. And I, and, and my, my immediate response was if I was like stronger or more grounded or more, more whatever, this wouldn't have happened, right? And so then I, I dug deep, a little bit deeper into that and I just, um, I observed it, I guess. And, um, I was like, okay, observe that judging. What is, what is that? And ultimately it was not a liking or loving, accepting, going deeper than accepting and, and loving or liking my, my partner, um, Adam would say, of, of course I love you. He's like, but I also like you. He's like, I think like is actually harder than love. 
and I, and I get that to a degree. So I think it's interesting. You chose that word like, Mm -hmm. so, um, there's always pieces of myself that I'm claiming, um, where I notice that I've, I've left them behind, right. Parts of my body, um, parts of where I feel like I feel or don't do as well as I think I should do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's a, it's a, it's an iterative process, I guess. Yeah. That's beautiful. That, that feeling of always feeling like more, 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 I should be doing more. I should be doing more. I should be doing it. Yeah. I suffer from that. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> okay. Number four, do you enjoy small or large gatherings and why? Hmm. I don't know exactly. I think um, I like them both for different reasons. But when I lean in, I really, I, I, yeah, I, I'm comfortable in both situations. But I will say, in large gatherings, I think I tend to find the small gatherings. Yeah, I was just going to say small. <laughs> yeah, you know, where you yeah. find a little circle of people too. Yeah communicate with I used to hate large gatherings like concerts and stuff are really difficult for me because I was like overwhelmed by the energy but it's also you know if you're really well grounded it's also like really exciting but you can't relate to that many people so you're talking you know to the people like next to you and in front of you and behind you it's kind of funny yeah okay number five do you have a calling in life Yes, my calling is to just be my most brilliant self. Awesome. <laughs> well, you're killing it. <laughs> Thanks. Okay, so did you bring a question for me today? Mm. What's your calling in life? Mm. It's actually shifting. I'm experiencing a really big shift right now. So I had a very, I have had since I was in second grade, a very clear understanding of what one of my roles was here, which was to be a bridge, a bridge tender from, I mean, I'm calling it 3D to 5D, but it's really from, from suffering to love, from, from unknowing to knowing from whatever, you know, and I, with the with the publication of Dear Human, I felt like that mission was complete. Like I've, I have now done my thing and here it is. And that my role as a bridge tender is complete. And I remember just like out of the blue telling a couple of people, I, that that was the last project that I'm going to do in support of humanity. Now I want to celebrate humanity. So it's, it's like a small but significant shift for me that I'm now thinking like, okay, that work is done. Now I get to do the next phase, which is, you know, to celebrate the creation of our new earth together and how I want to really explore how people are doing that and having fun with it and what, excuse me, kind of, kind of joy and fulfillment it's bringing them. So I feel like things are going to shift for me. I love that. I'm glad I asked that question. Thank you. Thank you for asking it. So Lisa, I just want to thank you so much for having this conversation with me today. I really think it's going to help a lot of moms and um, 
and grandmothers and just women uh, in general, because everybody's been parented. So um, yeah. It's, yeah, it's really a conversation for, for everybody. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Kay. It's always wonderful to spend time with you. And I always appreciate our conversations. Same. So thank you. Me too.